Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 273rd episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at Hawk Blogger. And uh, we are trying to confuse everybody this week. We were going to, we normally are on Wednesdays at 7 uh, Pacific. And then this week, I've been, I was traveling to New York. And so we're going to do Thursday night and then uh, called an audible. My son got a job, praise be, hallelujah, and so we're going to go celebrate tomorrow night uh, as a family, and so we're moving it back. I, like, I just got back from New York like 10 minutes ago, and I really appreciate my two buddies, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 and Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons for moving everything around so we could talk Seahawks. And thanks to everybody who is joining. Uh, Nathan, how's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, like I was telling you a minute ago, I had a little bit of photo finish, getting the kids down for bed, so I'm all amped up from that, but uh, otherwise doing good. When they go down, do they stay down? Or do, are they like, they need like five extra, you know, trips before they go to sleep? It, it really varies. Um, but the five extra trips is not uncommon at all. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we've got a little bit of that going on still. Um, Jeff, what's going on in your life, man? What happened? What'd you do today? Um, today, <laughs> not that much. Sounds exciting. Um, yeah. I'm getting married soon. Um, do we get to know, like, you don't have to give us the exact date if you don't want to, but like rough, like how many, are we weeks, months? A month today, a month basically tomorrow. Whoa. So I made sure the wedding was on a Saturday. So my Sundays are not interrupted. Oh, um, did, I, did I miss my invite? I, I don't remember seeing it. Uh, you want to fly to Toronto? <laughs> I, maybe I do. Maybe I didn't know. No, I, I, uh, I'm just giving you shit. But, but uh, is this going to be a big affair, small affair? Um, medium size. Uh, I was told that people, 10% of people don't tend to accept the invite, but that has not happened so far. And we haven't had a lot of rejections. I don't know if it's because it's not in the summer or it's not off season or people everybody haven't wants done much see, in the pandemic. Everybody wants to see real Jeff Simmons tie the knot. It's a, it's a yeah, big deal. People are surprised someone wants to marry me. So they want to actually witness it's possible. <laughs> 
Do they know that they get your internet along with you? Is that is that? I, I that don't. I've, I've tried to keep that quiet. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we're very excited, and uh, we will talk more about it. Although probably not as much on air. Um, so uh, appreciate the update. Um, I actually was writing my tale of the tape article because I couldn't write it first thing this morning. I had, I had work I was doing and I was writing it on the plane. And then for whatever reason, I could not get to my site after like, I was just about to hit publish and it blocked it out. So I just was finishing writing my Panthers preview. Um, and I also was looking at what seems to be a fair amount of Seahawks news <laughs> as usual when we do a show. Um, Nathan, have you uh, have you stayed up with the news of the day on the Seahawks um, like that's been coming out today in terms of people going to IR, signings from the practice squad, uh, all that kind of stuff? Or would you like me to, to fill you in a little bit? They So let me see if I can, I can do this. So Tyreek Smith was released. Correct. Uh, they signed a tight end. From the Eagles off to their practice squad. Um, who went to IR? I can't remember now who went to IR. Mike Morris went to IR, shoulder surgery, likely out for the year. Yep. Um, and there was some other move that they made, right? Didn't they pick the, uh, add somebody else to the. They signed Artie Burns from the practice squad. Right. Yep. Uh, so he's on the active roster now. Jamal Adams appears to be well on his way to playing this weekend. I think so. Pete's really handling that one a little bit abnormally. He 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 has said he's full go, unlimited, and he full, practiced full today. But he also keeps saying we're not committing to playing him this weekend. He'll play when he's ready. We're waiting for any setbacks. Like he's being very unpete like about Jamal. Hmm. What, what do you I, make of that? Gamesmanship, uh, I would say. Coaches never like to be real clear about injuries. But it is unpeat like he's not usually one to kind of play up or down or be too too catty about that kind of thing. He is not. He is not. Other news: Will Disley has an injured shoulder. Um, we don't know how bad, but it is injured. Uh, DK Metcalf on the positive side seems like he is uh, highly likely to play. Um, what is the mystery for me? Where what is going on with with Reed? So, uh, Tariq Woolen, Reek Woolen, I'm never going to get used to that. Um, he hurt his shoulder slash kind of collarbone in the Lions game. Um, mm-hmm. And so it just sounds like he's sore. Um, it doesn't sound like he's going to play this week. It seems unlikely. Uh, I think Pete said it would take some. I can't remember the phrase he used, but some kind of Petism about that. It would take a big deal, like a big recovery for him to get ready for this weekend. So I don't think, I don't think he's coming back this weekend. Um, he also seemed to say that I think Devin Bush and Boye Mafe, they hope will play this weekend. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of news here. Um, also the injury report came out. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you saw this, but it was like most of the rosters on the injury report right now. Um, Charles Cross sounds like it seems like he's not, he didn't practice today, didn't do the walkthroughs. So that seems it's like it's pretty unlikely he'll be back. Kobe Bryant did not practice today as a toe issue. We don't know anything about that. Julian Love did not practice today. He has a hamstring issue. Don't know anything about that. Jaron Reed did not practice today, has a groin issue. Don't know anything about that. 
Uh, what's Brown that? and Brown and Haynes too limited. That's probably not a big deal, but I would assume that's not a big deal. But yes, I mean, Jeff, w- w- any of that like grab your attention of all this news? What like rose to the top for you? Just the volume of how many guys there are. Yeah, I only remember seeing any Wednesday report where you. I looked and I I saw it on Twitter and it was like. I had to like do a double take. I was like, I've never seen that many names on the did not practice list before. So it was strange. Cause I think you tweeted Brian that like it, like the both teams came out of this game battered. Yeah. And like the lions have had a ton of like Gardner Johnson's out for the year. St. Brown is injured. And you like mentioned, it didn't seem like it was that physical of a game. It was kind of a shootout, which is kind of strange. So obviously with Morris down, it, Jaron Reed is obviously one I'm watching because they're already going in so limited defensive line depth wise. They didn't add a defensive lineman today at all. Uh, yeah. They added a tight end. So Morris was the guy who's going to play a big role for them. They're really short-handed. So if Reed is hurt at all, uh, maybe it's just precaution. Hopefully it's just precautionary. And they just have, <laughs> it just got like no numbers right now because they have like five defensive interior defensive linemen. Right, like with Morris being injured, they didn't replace him. Am I right? No, they brought in a tight end. That baffles me a little bit. So, if I mean that they've got their their only defensive edge, like defensive ends. Now, this is not. I know people still get this confused. They have edge players that are essentially defensive ends um, in the four three scheme, but outside linebackers, and those are Boye Mafe, Chena Nuosu, Daryl Taylor, uh, Derek Hall. Those are edge players for the Seahawks. But then there's defensive linemen for the Seahawks this year are the essentially their nose tackle, which would be like Jaron Reed and Cameron Young. Mm-hmm. So they've got they got a rotation there, which is fine. And then their defensive end. There's two of them. And there should be there's um uh Mario Edwards and there's Draymond Jones as your starters. Who's after them? Cameo, or I mean, I guess he's not really. They're all just big bodies, but yeah. Like, do they have a fifth? Like, who is? I have to pull up the roster. Honestly, depth chart in our lives. Uh, I mean, that's. I mean, Miles Adams. Miles Adams. Yeah. Okay. That's it. (laughs) That's it. That that feels untenable. I don't think that's going to last. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you would think if the Reed thing was serious, that they would have to have brought in another body with Morris going to IR. The other hand, yeah. I really do think all these guys, like, I don't even know if there's a point distinguishing between, between like, any of the hand-on-the-ground guys at this point. Like... Yeah, defensive tackle, defensive end. Like, yes, you're, you're talking about distinguishing between Uchenna Nuosu and uh, Draymond Jones. Yeah, absolutely very different. But those guys that are playing in the middle that with their hands down on the ground, they're all the same, I think, at this point. Hmm. I uh, I am troubled by that. And I, I guess I, I hearken back to uh, John Schneider's comments and Pete Carroll's a little bit right as the rosters were getting set where he said, it's a big deal that Cam Young and Mike Morris are coming back to us. This is around the same time that John Schneider said we're, it was like the Tuesday before 
they were really finalizing the 53. Um, and we're still looking around to try to, to basically we're looking at, at, at defensive linemen. And then when Pete Carroll said, we have Morris and Young coming back to us, so we don't need to make any other moves. So in my head, when one of them goes away, in their minds, there's another move that they've got to make. And I'm guessing they're just not going to make it this week. And I'm guessing there's not a lot of options for them either to make those moves. So anyway, Nathan, my take about this week is this feels very much like a Pete Carroll week where he's going to look at the Panthers and he's going to give a lot of guys like he's going to maybe not force Jamal Adams to come back. Maybe he's going to take it easy with some of these players that he would have otherwise made. You know, you've talked about that he does this. Mm-hmm. usually every year do you do you agree is that is that a feeling you would get at this point i don't think he does it with playing guys i think Pete, like going back even to like when they got uh, percy harvin and they were like well of course you won't use him as a returner right he's too important and pete's like no we play football so <laughs> i think if adams is ready to go he's gonna play adams um but that said i think he he is big on uh not showing too much in these kinds of games. I wonder though if the Rams game uh influences that in a in a positive way. Uh because some of the comments, I mean Pete basically came out and said, Yeah, I didn't have the team ready. Uh right? That's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh I, and I don't know if you have that comment because it's that's not uh near exact what he said, but that that was roughly what he seemed to mean. He said two things, uh, and Jeff, you, you probably know this better than me, but I heard two things that really stood out in this regard. One, he said, I think this, this was in the, I can't remember which interview it was, but anyway, he, like heading into last week's game, before last week's game, he said, I, think, I, I honestly don't remember the, the timing, but he said, um, I, was, I, I had the guys, we were having too much fun essentially yeah. something along those lines ahead of the first game. And I didn't get their minds right. Essentially. Then on the, I think it was the Brock and Salk show this Monday after the lions win, he said that he hadn't been able to get through to the team by Wednesday. And it was Bobby with his screaming at the team speech at the beginning of practice that actually got through to the team. And Salk kind of called it out afterwards of like, hey, that's not something most coaches would admit. He didn't say this to Pete, but he was talking to, to Brock about it. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That's kind of noble and good. But that's two admissions in two weeks that Pete wasn't feeling like he was getting the team, getting through the team. Is he like he the Matt Stafford? Of, he doesn't know how to relate to the youths. Like, what's going on? I don't know. Um, but maybe considering all that, they will come out and they will try to just dumpster the Panthers and keep their foot on the pedal. I, I don't know. It does feel like a trap game though, um, which is a weird thing to say about an NFL team in week three. Well, Jeff, let me ask you, do the Seahawks have a better chance to win this game if Bryce Young plays or if Andy Dalton plays? <laughs> I think if Bryce Young plays. Uh, Andy Dalton beat Seattle last year with the Saints, although Taysom Hill did most of the work. But I know we're all just painfully 
traumatized by those Colt McCoy games. And this sort of brings back those memories. And Dalton doesn't have much left in the tank. He's is what he is at this point, but he's the kind of guy who can just distribute the ball. And Seattle plays pass defense the way they have the last few weeks. That could work. But Bryce really Bryce is in a situation that's really not in his favor right now. Their offensive line is really poor. Their guards are two guards are out for the year. Their tackles are not playing well. And their skill position group, we talked about this in the prediction show, is by far the worst in the league. Their skill position group is atrocious. And they had a really good thing going last year. And when they came in with Sam Darnold and beat the crap out of the Seahawks, they sort of lost that. They got rid of the coach. They brought in Frank Reich. They paid a lot of money to Miles Sanders. And they they traded DJ Moore away. It's a very different looking team. They have Adam Thielen as their number one receiver who was basically like out of gas at the last point. And so Bryce, behind that offensive line and those weapons, he's looked frazzled. He like he's looked really rattled out there. And he looks he looks like what rookies used to look like. Now the way they're transitioning. And he's just looked over his head. And a lot of the bad things we've seen is size and him getting skittish in the pocket. I'd be far more uncomfortable playing Dalton, who can just run the offense at the basic level. What's what's his injury? I, I haven't seen the injury for Bryce Young. Like, I believe ankle. it was an ankle. An ankle? Mm-hmm. He, he was getting hit a lot last game. And he did not practice the, today. Um, yeah. I think there's no doubt that Andy Dalton is a tougher matchup for this team. Um, and not that he's good, but he's just, I think Bryce Young's been incredibly ineffective so far. And so I, anyway, I, I certainly, if you want to win, I think you want Bryce Young to play more than you want Andy Dalton to play. Um, if you want, uh, to be able to have a more interesting and entertaining game, even if you, even if you win, I certainly would rather watch Bryce Young, uh, the number one overall pick play than watch Andy Dalton. Like that doesn't sound fun at all. Um, so we're going to get more into talking about the game, but let's, let's, let's transition and take some patron questions a little earlier than we normally do. Nathan, if you wouldn't mind looking them up, uh, for folks that haven't already give this show a like, go over to patreoncom slash Hawk blogger, sign up now, get immediate access to the Slack channel where you can ask us questions as well. And by the way, we're giving away two tickets for free to the Seahawks game this weekend. Or hopefully you'll get to see Bryce Young lose to the Seahawks. But those are the kind of benefits you get as a patron. And doesn't cost much to join. You get a great community. And all the proceeds go to a great charity. We've donated over $260,000 to charity over the years. So I don't think there's any reason for you to hold back. The Seahawks are on a one-game winning streak, for God's sakes. Patreon.com slash HawkBlogger. Now's the time to join. Nathan, where are we at with questions? So Brendan has a question here, and I'm not sure if any of us are going to be able to answer. Um, did did anyone hear Doug Baldwin's interview with KJ today? Dana did. I did not. I did not either. I was told I should. I, I also, I, I saw it on YouTube, and I uh, was going to get around to listening to it, but have not yet. So unfortunately, Brendan, I, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to uh, answer that question. That's the um, kind of crack answers you're going to get for being a patron. So thanks. Thanks, Brandon. Yep. Yeah. Maybe next week. If we remember, we won't, we won't <laughs> happen. 
uh, uh, <laughs> if Brian is still, Jason A wants to know if Brian is still stuck on a plane back from New York while recording the show tonight, will his internet still work better than Nathan's has recently? Look, it was one time. Yeah, you're the bad internet guy now. What I have one bad internet day, and suddenly I've surplanted Jeff. I, I don't like this. Um, okay, uh, Brian. Derek, Derek wants to know what is your favorite personnel grouping so far this season on offense. On offense, personnel grouping. So we're not talking about like 11, 13, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 20. that kind of thing. Or, oh. or what, 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 uh. What I mean, you, I've liked, I've mind? liked the, I've liked the multiple tight ends so far. I mean, it's, it's a recency bias thing for sure, but I think you can argue that the tight ends are the three guys, uh, like one of the only, uh, one of the few guys on the roster, set of guys on the roster that have actually maybe outperformed expectations or at least performed up to expectations. I think Noah Fant, he looks good this year. Like he doesn't look okay he looks good he doesn't look great but he looks like a plus player disley was a huge part of that win this weekend and unfortunately he took some of the damage too but i loved how physical he was and he, i think he really knocked the crap out of aiden hutchinson like multiple times and parkinson has done exactly what a third tight end is supposed to do so I think it's also made them more multiple when they have the the three tight ends in there they're a little more less predictable um they've passed out of that set almost more than they've run out of it um so that's the one that for me has felt most productive um i guess it should feel a lot worse taking all those receivers off the field but that's what's going to be my answer too is 13 mm. uh also my favorite uh personnel grouping in madden this year very effective there oh. too yeah um Okay, I gotta I gotta pause on this one. Jeff, are you ready to to give up on Kobe Bryant yet? I don't know if I'm ready to give up on him, but he is a hard guy to get behind right now. Just he gets beat so often in the slot, and I, you saw some like flashes as when he was playing safety as a tackler. But last year at the end of the year, he got a lot of hype just like for how many fumbles he was forcing, but. He wasn't very good in the slot, and he was getting beaten a lot. And then so far, that's carried over, unfortunately, into this year. And he's a guy who has apparently a, a toe injury, and that's why Art Burns might have – another reason Artie Burns got bumped up, and Burns has looked a little better than him. So I'm not willing to say I'm out on him fully, but he just hasn't played well in the last year and a half, essentially. So I don't think his play is worthy of being the nickel corner. And in the nickel bat base, he should be more of a backup safety at this point. Getting bodied by Laporta was a real, oh, real brutal, the, brutal the moment. Tackling on the towel. Oh, you know what's that. better than forcing a fumble? Not uh, allowing the reception. Uh, I don't know. Is that true? I think it is. I think. Yeah. I think. Well, you, you I mean, if you ball. literally had the choice, then of course you'd take right, the fumble. Right. Okay. Percentage wise, though. But like from a probabilistic scenario, like just don't allow them to catch it in the first place. Yeah, he's just. He's getting killed in the slot. Uh, similar question here from Troy. Uh, Brian, how concerned are you with the safety play? I know you're a big fan of Julian Love. Uh, oh, so. That's, I, I mean, I got to eat that one because I, I've really hyped up Julian Love. I thought it was one of the best signings of the offseason. I think that they got, I think a lot of folks thought 
the Seahawks got a steal um, for the price they paid and got a starter. And Julian Love's been, uh, he's been beaten regularly. He's it's his zone. That's often the one where like in the first game, almost every time when there was a zone vacated, it was, it was Julian Love uh, spot where, where these guys were, were making these catches him and Kobe Bryant are really hurting this team. And I think Jamal Adams coming back has a chance to have a great ripple effect. The fact that Trey Brown played well has a good ripple effect. I think we could start seeing Pete said something today. It was interesting about, um, Devin Witherspoon has is not yet going to move inside. He's, he'll be good when he gets there or something like that, which was interesting. Because I guess what I'm expecting is that we're going to get to Trey Brown and Woolen outside. I think that's why Witherspoon's not going to move in this week. We're going to get Woolen and Brown outside on nickel and dime. Witherspoon will slide in. And then I think you could have like a Julian Love, Jamal Adams, Diggs situation. That would be good. I could handle that if it's if it's Julian Love in like a dime kind of situation. But he is not playing like a starter right now. He's not doing anything particularly well. And uh, I think Quandre Diggs, I can think of one play that he's made in two games. And uh, it's given me echoes of the first half of last year where he was not helping. So, yeah, I don't think the safety play has even been average. I think it's been bad. Um, Jeff, would you trade Gino to the Jets for a first and second round pick? Uh, Zach would like to know. God, last week, if you asked me, I would have said like a hundred percent. Um, no, I don't think you can do that. Um, that would be a really attractive trade off. We're not going to lie, but it's just so hard. The Seahawks are sort of in like a, upper echelon of no man's land. I think if you trade Gino, you just become like a complete, you go into the wilderness and you're just trying to tank at that point. And the roster is not really built to play that way. And you just be completely, you're just basically restarting the rebuild all over again. I think, I think that's a huge part of the season is just figuring out what Gino is and getting that data points because you have the out after the year, you have one week where he looked like, a backup and then you had one week where he looked like an all pro and i think getting that sample size or we're, we're, we're going to react a lot in the show to two week samples but i think getting that 17 game sample is really really important for the future of the organization and learning what gino is because we saw such ups and downs in the first and second half of last year can i ask you guys a follow-up on that do you think that any other team wants gino that's not that's not meant as shade. I'm genuinely curious. Like, do you think the Jets it even comes up to them? Of yeah, if we could get Gino, that would be great. I should. It's, yeah, I mean it they should. should. God, he, he's a lot better than Zach Wilson. I mean, I don't know. We talked about this a ton last year, right? Is how much is the league going to actually value Gino? Uh, and then they went and paid Daniel Jones more. Um, I mean, that's one team, but you know, uh, so no, I don't, I don't think any team is, I don't think the Jets are sitting there being like, ah, if we could, we just pry Gino away. Yeah. That's my read as well. I was just curious what you guys thought. Yeah. There's just, there's not a lot of teams who kind of need that quarter kind of style quarterback. 
The Jets are one by me. They, they're the one. Yeah, they really should. I don't. I don't. What, do you think? Okay. I mean, other perspective though. Do you think Seattle would entertain that at all? Like a first and a second is not a, a joke offer. I don't think they would. I, I think that this. Pete started before this, the first game of the season and said something special is going to happen is happening here. And I don't think he, he doesn't, he says like stuff all the time, but it, it, he genuinely seemed like he believes. And I think he always believes something is, is going to go well. And I don't think he's, it's in his nature to like, Oh no, we're just going to kick it aside and go to next year. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, Wait, before you switch to another question, I had one more other question on the Jets-related thing. Um, if you're a Jets fan, are you okay with them sticking with Zach Wilson? Like, they've gone hardcore. Like, he is our guy. I would be furious. I mean, he looks like he might get you the first pick in the draft, so. <laughs> I don't but know. Not with that defense. They're going to be 500 probably with that defense. Not if he's throwing three picks a game. I mean, I just don't understand why they'd be that committed to that guy. Like, there's so many other options. They could absolutely make a trade around the league for somebody. For what? I the problem that's... is, yeah, I was looking at the list. It's like it's bleak because teams who have like backup quarterbacks don't tend are the teams that need them. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of guys who have just like a luxury quarterback. The one I could see is like if the Vikings keep losing. Kirk Cousins becomes interesting there, but he's a free agent after the year. They're they're zero two already. You but can, it might be too late at that point. You could maybe pride Jimmy G away from the Raiders. Yeah, like, but again, you need more I'm of a sure probably, I mean, that might not be terrible for them because he uh, probably would have been in the first place. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Anyway, it's it, it it's bizarre to me. I mean, I'm. Not a Drew Locke fan, has been proven over the years. I would certainly take Drew Locke over Zach Wilson. I was, I think you, you just, I mean, that's that's Spider Man meme for sure, though. Zach Zach Wilson, yeah. Locke yeah. it, it, it's close. I think Drew yeah. Locke's got. <laughs> I think Drew Locke's got a little bit more upside yeah. than Zach Wilson, but but maybe I'm the number two overall pick. <laughs> Then yeah. the number two overall pick in the draft. That's just oh that's wow, that was just a stupid yeah. pick. I mean, Daniel Jones was a high pick too. You know, yeah, Justin so. Fields. What's Trubisky up to? Maybe he come <laughs> give him some stuff. Okay, okay. But it's funny. Well, they, they actually, yeah. I mean, Chicago. I mean, that's another whole thing. We don't have to go. You follow any of that today? What the hell's going on there? No one, no one knows, and it's probably best not to speculate. Yeah, they had one of the weirder days of any team I've ever seen. Well, it made for good fodder because I work with someone named Alan, Alan Williams. So I've been able to like, oh like make a lot of in, innuendo about him um, based so, on tweets today. <laughs> I don't know, man. Some of the stuff he's being rumored about is uh, real dicey. Yeah. Uh, also, Justin Fields yeah. came out and said uh, the reason that he's bad is because of coaching. So yeah, that was like the second quietest story of the day. I mean, talk about your season being over two games in and maybe not just your season, but your next like three years are yeah, like screwed. Uh, I, 
don't know, whatever. We don't have to talk about it. But no. I never understood why Justin Fields was this MVP front runner all of a sudden in the offseason. I was like, did you watch him last year? Like, anyway. He was really impressive running the ball, and they completely stopped doing that with them. So, <laughs> yeah. Gotta Good coaching him. takes away your strengths. That, that's what I've been taught. Um, okay. I think, I think, uh, well, okay. Michael has one here. Uh, and he says, you know, with Seahawks having a painful loss and a very good loss or a good, a very good win, what, where are your expectations? It's been a little bit of a roller coaster first couple weeks. So, Brian, have your expectations changed from your preseason prediction? What, where are you at today? Um, my expectations have dropped. Um, you know, I'm not like, they're not permanently dropped, but last week you said that the entire experiment with this team was was over and they've been set back like four years. I the implications of that first week um, really bad. were really, really bad for the organization on every front. Um, as Jeff said multiple times, you know, every offseason move looked like it was a mistake. Um, and, and it wasn't just what was happening in that game, but it was, was happening in the opportunity cost for, and I'm not even talking about just Jalen Carter, but like a bunch of other things that just were, it was, it was, it was a really, really trying first week. Um, and I thought they played better in the second week. I am happy with the run defense. And I think that that it's good to see that back to back weeks because there's something that you can build from there um i was a little worried that we were going to see against the lions is <laughs> they'd find a way to stop the pass and then the ryan lions would just run over them and it was just going to be whack-a-mole and like something was going to break every week but it's good to have something that's a foundation i like what i saw in witherspoon i feel good about that but the secondary has been well below expectations well 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 below like if i was expecting like a b plus a minus secondary this has been like a d secondary and that's huge. And the pass rush, which I thought to be at least like a B pass rush, has been like a D minus pass rush. So those two things dramatically drop the ceiling for this team if they don't turn those around. Um, offensively, JSN has not been the impact maker that I was hoping he would be. And I don't necessarily know how much of it's him, but... I, I really trust and respect Gino for the most part in most situations. And I think if JSN was doing things that were really like fantastic, I think he'd be getting the ball more. Um, I disagree. All right. So hit me up. Well, obviously I'm J JSN's my guy. So you are emotional. So one thing that you can determine a stat that you can use to determine the coach's impact on a player is design through average depth of target. That is determining where they're targeting the player because of what the routes are designed. Of all the players who have played a certain amount of snaps, JSN is one of the worst in the league. His average depth of target is like 2.1 yards per target, which means in layman's terms, his routes are being designed two yards away from the line of scrimmage. This has been, I, th I thought Shane Waldron did an incredible job last week after I was very critical of him in the first week. They are not tapping into his skill set at all. And you can see the way he's being used. He's being used on screens. He's being used on outlets. And they're being used 
short, even the route he had up the sideline was a route where he was thrown at the line of scrimmage and he came up the right side. The one productive play he made last week was where Gino broke the pocket and he came across to the right side. Brian mentioned it earlier. JSN has a very specific skill set that they can tap into. And the way he's being used is almost like he's the Eskridge or Rondell Moore, who is a low average depth of target guy. And Brian's right that they haven't seen him like dominate on routes and eat up the middle of the field. But the way he was used in the preseason, like you saw exactly what he can do. And it's not like that all of a sudden goes away. I think last week, I think it might be, they had to play a lot more 12 personnel because of the tackles. And it was really, really effective. But the amount of just routes designed for him within two yards of the line of scrimmage, to me, is mind-boggling. And frankly, if this team hadn't done this so much, Jimmy Graham, Jamal Adams, Percy Harvin, not knowing how to use these players that have very specific skill sets, I might look the other way. But this is now a pattern. And, like, they're using him essentially as if he was Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers can win on some of those routes. Jason is not an explosive receiver. He's a quick agility guy that he needs to eat up the middle of the field they're not if this is how they're going to use him this is a bad first round pick and they're not tapping into his skills and it's been uh, the offense was so good last week i can't complain but it's been really frustrating to watch i want to correct uh, not correct i want to just check one thing so i agree with pretty much everything you said other than the depth of target stat can be misleading because it's literally target so it's not average depth of route run. So yeah. um, when he's getting targeted, it's close to the line of scrimmage. And one of the reasons that can happen is if they're having trouble getting him the ball, the OC can be trying to like, okay, I'm going to run a bubble screen to get the ball in his hands, like just to get him in the, yeah. involved in the game. And that could be an implication that he's not actually getting open in the routes that they want him to get open on. I don't know. I've not been watching enough film to say for sure, but I, I, one, he should not be running screen, bubble screens. That is not mm-hmm. his game. I totally agree with you. And two, they did use him in preseason in the middle of the field, and he was getting open and getting targeted. And I do 100% still believe in – like, there's no part of me that thinks, oh, Jason, that's actually a mirage. He's not good. I, I still have the same amount of confidence. But I don't know. Something's not clicking, and I don't understand what it is. And what's a fact is I think we can all say we're pretty – underwhelmed with his impact on this offense. I thought he was going to unlock this offense. That hasn't happened through two games. No, no, it was 12. It was 12 personnel that unlocked the offense last week or 13 personnel. And Waldron did a lot of cool stuff. And like I think Derek sent us a stat in the chat. He only ran like 23 routes last week mm-hmm. uh, because they had to be out of 11 personnel, which was supposed to be a big part of what they're doing. And because the tackles are out and they need the tight ends helping it might limit his effectiveness for the next couple of weeks. And it's a little concerning for sure. I think you hit on the, on the head. Like the reason his ADOT is so, so low is because the only time he's getting thrown is when it's designed to go to him on these, these screens and things. I don't think it's because he's not playing well though. I think it's more a matter of all the other stuff we talked about. Like there's just a lot of mouths to feed on this offense and they're not going to go out of their way to force feed JSN. So you're playing 12 and 13 and you've got Tyler and you've got DK. And so like, I, I I don't know when JSN ends up having like a monster game because they just don't need him to do that. And they are trying to do 
they're trying to like the structure that they have for this offense. I just don't think is conducive to it. So, I mean, it's very possible that we get to the end of this year and we're wondering like, why did they spend a first round pick on, you know, uh, a third receiver when that role, I think it might look just pretty small by the end of the year. Is there any rookie for the Seahawks through two games that has outperformed their draft status? Mike Morris. <laughs> Chair Creed. That might be the one. That's, you're joking, but that might be the one. He he had a fantastic special teams tackle last week and an amazing troll job in the locker room afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it has to be Reed for the the whole. The, yeah, but I mean, jokes aside, guys, that's not good. No, I I think Charbonnet, I, I thought played his better game, and I say best game in times. I only only played two games. I'm including preseason. He did not look that good in preseason, so he he finally had a good game. But it wasn't like any no one else would look at that and say that was a great game for a running back. It was like okay, there's a few plays where I feel like he looked like he, he belongs. Spoon looked pretty awesome. Like, I don't Spoon know if good. we're going to say he's going to overperform because he was taken fifth overall. I'm not know. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. And I, I you're totally right. Um, but I think it's it's not great that as of yet, none of the rookies um, are, like, flashing. It is week two. So let's give him four weeks. Before we condemn the rookie class, I want this week. This is the week. Let's start flashing this week. All right. I think we spent a, that's probably plenty of Patreon questions. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I didn't really talk about the Lions game with you guys. So let me just take a moment on that before we transition to talking about the Panthers and, and that stuff. Um, Nathan, did you get a chance to watch the game last week? I know you've been. You know, not live. I had to do a, a replay again. But, but you yes. have you had you did get a yeah. chance to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh what jumped out to you about that game? I thought Gino played his ass off. <laughs> um I know that like Stone and Curran, they they both looked pretty good. They looked solid, uh, way better than we had hopes for. Um, but I still thought that like Gino was just dealing the entire game. Under pressure, tight windows, um, Never really looked super rattled. Uh, even when he took the 50-yard sack, he did it extremely confidently, which was not super great, but <laughs> he'll learn from that. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was the thing that, like, I kept kind of coming back to is, like, man, like, I, I last week I said, hey, you know, I felt like you could really see a difference between Matt Stafford and Geno Smith and being like, oh, they have a dude. And we have a, a, a guy who's really good. Uh, Gino felt much more like a dude this week. Yeah. NFL or FedEx Air Player of the Week. Yeah. Today. So there's that. Jeff, what about you? Uh, player, part of the game, anything that like, what's their lasting impression of that game from this weekend? Uh, yeah, Gino is the obvious one, and uh, Nathan covered that pretty well. He, he looked, he hasn't looked like that Pro Bowl, All Pro kind of guy in basically since like that New Orleans game or something like that, since before the Tampa game, really. And but let's go a different way. Uh, I thought, I thought Shane Waldron had a great game, and I thought the use 
of the tight end group specifically and how good the tight ends played. I think that really just showed me how well-rounded this offense can be. Like if you combine their stats, the three of them had a, just a really, really effective game as, as receivers. But like when you just see some of the formations, like there was a play after the Nuosu fumble. I don't know if you've seen the clip of the play they ran to have the two tight ends coming out of the backfield to free up Colby Parkinson, which took him down. That was just a really cool design play. And like, I was so critical of Waldron in week one, because I thought they were just so vanilla. They didn't really use play action. They didn't use different personnel groups. They didn't have those like play action. I thought the, the you saw, we know how good these receivers are, but these three tight ends and obviously Disley's already hurt, but you saw just not only how good they are receiving, but they were really good blockers. Like Noah Fant had maybe the best game he's had as a Seahawk. If you combine, he was a really good blocker. And the way these guys were able to just help on in Hutchinson was a non-factor. And I thought going into this game that the two tackles and the, Aiden Hutchinson are just going to make the passing game untenable. And I was, my expectations were so low with the tackle injuries. And I was so surprised there was basically no pressure from what looks like their best player. So I think the tight end group and Waldron did a much better job, basically the opposite of what I would criticize them for the week before. Yeah. And, and kind of retrospect, one of the players that I think got lost in the shuffle a little bit is Uchenna Nuosu. If you think about it, uh, forced fumble, first play, second half, team doesn't win without that play. Like, absolute turning point in the game. Um, the pick six to Trey Brown, if you watch that, Nuosu hits his, the uh, Goff's arm as he throws, so he couldn't complete, he couldn't put the ball where he wanted to, directly led to that pick six. Um, for a defense that is much maligned for, I think, very valid reasons, I think Uchenna Nuosu is having himself a season so far. He had a good first game as well. He was he was one of the only guys that had some impact in the first game while everyone else was playing like trash. So um, I think he's he is the guy that they extended and is looking like a guy that was wise to do so and looking like he's still improving. Um so that, that was one of the names that stood out to me. And then, you know, I got to say, I was, I didn't want it to happen, but I was braced for it. I, like Bobby Wagner coming back at his age, you just never know, even though he played well last year, is he going to just, what's the year where he just isn't the player anymore? Bobby's made a big difference. Like he's made a really big difference, uh, especially on, uh, on that run defense. Um, and I think, not only that, the leadership and the other pieces. So there's a bunch of stats that have come out now about this team that are kind of shocking. It's not just the, the the defense. Like the run defense is really good now, which is cool. This is one of the best performing offensive lines in football right now. That is bizarre. And they haven't had their starting tackles for three of the four halves played. Right? Um, this is the like fifth ranked Rank offense in points point per play. play. I think in EPA, they're somewhere around the top five or six on offense. Like, and I, the, the, one of the weirdest things, I think they're the sixth ranked rush EPA offense. Does that make sense to either of you? How is that possible that they're the sixth ranked rush EPA offense? If you took the 
like their three best halves, then that I'd be like, oh sure, yeah. But like they just three didn't show up for an entire half of football, and there's only been four of them. So right. <laughs> that is, I think, the most surprising thing is that they they've managed that with the second half of that week one game. So does that mean that if you take that half away, which I know you don't, but like if you did, is this what a top five offense in today's NFL looks like? Because it doesn't feel like a top five offense to me. I mean, they were on pace to score 26 points in uh, week one. Uh, I don't know where that ranks, but I, I they were what? They were at 24 points last mm-hmm. year and that was yeah. like ninth. yeah the 26 is maybe around fifth and then they put up 31 or the 37 31 in regulation i guess uh with a couple missed field goals mixed in there yeah i mean maybe i, I don't know that that line it, the lions game if you really just look at that like yeah that probably is what a top five offense looks like it's not yeah homes it's not a top two offense or a, a, you know, a number one offense but a top five it looks pretty good how do you feel about that, Jeff? I mean, I guess my reaction is last year was a down year for the NFL on offense, and and it felt that way. Like the Seahawks have scored had seasons where they scored twenty seven, average twenty seven points per game, and were like maybe in the top five then. Um, but this offense, it's scoring on almost every possession, if you, especially when you count missed field goals. But somehow it just doesn't it doesn't feel as dangerous to me as like if, if I wouldn't I wouldn't look at the Seahawks offense and be super intimidated to go up against this group. No, that's that's reasonable. They they I think especially I think we all thought that just eleven personnel grouping would unlock DK and they're they're just they're more of a well rounded offense than they are like a dominant. They don't do anything dominantly, but they just have so many different ways they can win. And they're so well-rounded. And if the line can hold up, it really makes them. But you, you think of like the traditional top five offense. They're usually the best at doing something. It's usually that passing offense that has the best quarterback with the best receivers. And Seattle isn't that. But they're really well-rounded. They have good running backs. They have good tight ends. And they have good receivers. And if their offensive line could play, it's they should be good. But it's just that first game was so ugly. It's probably hard to wrap your head around yeah, I think maybe it's for me that there's just not this single part of dominance where if you have a, like a strong run game and you can just keep going back to it and back to yeah, it, that good. feels like, okay, that's a tough offense. Or if you have a receiver who is like a Julio Jones or what I what think DK Metcalf should be, which is yeah. you just can't stop him. He is a physically dominant player, Travis Kelly, whatever. Like it's just a, something that you can't stop. I don't think like it feels like the Seahawks have been stringing plays together, but it feels tenuous. It doesn't feel like they've got this thing that the defenses can't figure out. I think if the run offense could actually get untracked and be a little bit more of a threat, that feels like it would be a big deal. If JSN could unlock the middle of the field a little bit more and be uncoverable. And like that felt like one of the things I was really excited to I guess that's for me what I'm waiting for, where it feels a little bit more like good luck. I don't, I don't feel like they're quite at that level yet. I think that comes from the balance that they have. Um, like they don't have one guy that 
they, they don't have a Jamar Chase or like a prime DeAndre Hopkins or something like that, right? Or like, uh, you know, prime uh, Lamar Jackson or Russ or that kind of guy running, you know, that's a dual threat or something. But good luck covering it all up. Right. Like you, they defenses are respecting DK speed every play. Right. And if you mess up, he's going to beat you. And if you mess up on Tyler, he's going to beat you. And if you over rotate to any one thing, they're going to come out in 13 and they're going to, you know, they have home run hitters and tight ends that can block and can catch. And they have a quarterback who's going to make the right decision, you know, 99% of the time. And he's accurate. Like they're just not, they don't give a lot away. Uh, and they don't have like, they don't have any real weakness. Like they have a bunch of B plus guys that, you know, and several of these guys can absolutely kill, kill you. If you give them a, you know, a sliver DK can ruin your day. Tyler can ruin your day. Kenneth Walker can ruin your day, right? He can house it from anywhere. Um, So I think that is where this offense really shines. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, uh, I think I'll. But Brian, I get what you're saying. I think if you're watching the Seahawks honestly, and you watch, I think you're t- you're hit on like the big picture. Real, if we're getting deep, the big picture issue of the team is they don't have any real All Pro level players, and they don't have those force players that when you watch San Francisco, for example, they have so many guys that are the best in the league at what they do, and that's the kind of you watch some of these best defenses, and you see what kind of. And Seattle's not in like a no man's land, but they're kind of in this weird upper middle class of the league where they're they can be good, but how do they get to that top tier without getting some of those players? And it's sort of that weird thing lingering around the team because you don't want to say they're a no man's land, but because they're they have a lot of good elements. I really like their offense, but they're not great at really anything. Yeah. And you watch Micah Parsons or on defense, and you watch Bosa and TJ Watt, and you're like, Okay, I kind of get why this defense doesn't. Seattle doesn't defense doesn't have a guy like that. Yeah, they have Nuosu and Bobby and a lot of good players. And same with their offense. If DK was Julio Jones, then maybe you have that. But again, they have. It's sort of what I said back in July about this team. They have a lot of good players from like ten to thirty, but the one to ten, one to five are a little deficient compared to like Super Bowl contenders. And that's where this is like awkward. How does this team hit that next level? Because they're not going to get they're not going to get the sink. So it's it's sort of this weird thing I've been watching. Yeah, it's got to come. It's got to come from the young players, like draft picks from last year and draft picks from this year. And and it's still too early to call it on that. But I, I agree. I will I say one, one on the positive side. Oh, sorry, Nathan. Oh, I was going to say I don't think it's the young players actually. I think the one guy who has that all pro potential, uh, it's Gino. It's Gino. Yeah. Gino's the guy that if you if you want this to like really you know the offense to be pushed over the top and to be an uh, NFC Championship uh, game type team, I think Gino has to play like he did against the Lions, and he's shown it right. He's shown he can play like an All Pro, borderline MVP type level, um, and he has to sustain that for a whole year and do it into the playoffs and all that. I think you're right, and that actually connects with the thing I was going to bring up, which is we've talked a lot about the tackles on the offensive line and how the teams kind of made had to make do in this like three quarters without them or three quarters of the season without them um the interior line uh phil haynes and damian lewis both had 
elite level pass blocking grades from PFF, take it for what it's worth in this game against the Lions. There are, I think, I think I wrote this. There's either, I think there's nine, I think there's nine offensive linemen in the NFL that have yet to give up a pressure and have played like a meaningful number of snaps. And Evan Brown's one of them. Um, so the interior of the Lions got almost no conversation, but has actually played pretty well. And the reality is when Gino's given time, he is that player. When he's not, he is not. So I think those are the two pieces that that probably are, you know, the most um, bellwether parts of this team. If the offensive line's playing well, uh, the Seahawks probably have a real good shot to win. Um, so that'll be one to watch. Keep going as we keep going. Uh, all right, last few minutes. Let's turn our attention to the Panthers game. Um, do either of you guys know who Frankie Louvu is? Of course, yeah. Tell me about him. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I didn't know who he was when I didn't I tell the tape this morning. Jeff, oh, you okay. actually know. I can tell in your eyes. Tell us about Frankie Louvu. I'm just a little surprised Nathan doesn't. He's like the nerd king over the last like year. Um, like Mina was on a podcast. I can't remember with who. And like before the season, they were talking about like the most unheralded players. And I remember just seeing a clip and it was this guy. He's like this guy that the analytics have pointed out as like one of those weapon linebacker on this unheralded Panthers team. And all of like the uh, Ben Solaks of Twitter are like, we love all like the sports hipsters. We're like, Oh, you gotta know Frankie Louvu. But I, I saw him play on Monday night in that terrible, terrible game. And he looked pretty good. But like I, I'm not watching a lot of Carolina defense. I'm not gonna lie, other than when they came and kicked their ass last year. But the only thing I know about him, he's like the nerd king of Twitter. So they typically that's, don't. That's more than I knew about him. I, I he's like, from Wazoo. How did I not know him? He's a kook. He's a kook. So like the first thing I look him up, and I was like, oh, he's got to be a rookie. No, he's not a rookie. No, he's 27. Uh, then I was like, oh, well, you know, he's got four sacks. How does he have four sacks? He must have just had a big game. No, he had two sacks in each game. And I was like, well, did he play against us last year? Yes, he did. And he had a sack against us last year. So um, Frankie Louvu, if you haven't heard of him, you should pay attention. And yes, all the Cougs in the chat are like, of course we know. But, you know, guess what? Not everybody watches Washington State Cougar football. Uh, so when you Google this dude, like half of the pictures show up and the first picture that shows up is him in a Jets uniform and his wiki uh, picture is of him in a Jets uniform and he's been with the Panthers for three years. So like even Google's sleeping on this guy. It's wild. I I don't think that there's any player that's been as impactful as he is that I've honestly, I no name and he has a, re- a recognizable name too and he's a kook i don't know so it was surprising but frankie louvu is a good rusher a good pass rusher this panthers defense has been a very good pass rushing defense you've got brian burns on the other side and you got Derek brown in the middle and while everyone's talking about uh <laughs> how the panthers ran us out of town last year that was tuba hubbard who they also still have um, but I think this pass rush is what's got my attention. I think I'm curious, Jeff, if you agree, I think this is a better pass rush than what the Seahawks faced with the lions last week. Uh, don't think it's close. Like, not close. Right. So are we in a situation 
especially now with the Disley news and knowing how he was a big part of helping in pass protection last week. And the fact that now you could hear it in Pete's voice. He's like, ah, our tackles, they like, they proved themselves. Stone deserves another chance to start. No, we're not going to bring in Jason Peters. Like he, he's not ready yet. We'll stick with the guys we've got. Are we going to have a chance that this was like a, a false, false positive last week? Um, there were a bunch of reports last, last week last week that uh, Jason Peters was going to start. There did were that, reports? Weren't there some reports about what did that happen? <laughs> out or? I know what you're doing. Oh. What? No? Like, no credible reporter would have been reporting. Oh, that. okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's okay. That, I probably had some bad sources there. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I guess that's that's what I'm if, if you're someone who wants to be a skittish Seahawks fan and be like, oh my god, they can't lose to the Panthers. For me, that's the one part of this team that is legitimately concerning, given where the Seahawks are. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, that's why I do agree it could be a kind of a trap game. And their front seven is really good at rushing the passer. And Shaq Thompson's out for the season. He's not gonna play, but Burns, and they also have Justin Houston, who's just like a reliably good pass right. rusher who they signed this year. And the thing with Detroit is they had Hutchinson and really no one else. Like you kind of saw in Detroit, like they kind of botched their draft last year, and you really saw it in that game. And like their defensive line is a great place to start where they have Hutchinson and really not much else. And Burns and Houston and Derek Brown are really good. And we're going to see a lot if that was a fluke last week or they just had a, a weak matchup against a deficient defensive line because I, I their pass rush is really, really good. It's like the, everything I said about their offense, this is the exact opposite. Um, Nathan, you're a big Chuba Hubbard guy. I remember this from last year. Huge. Yeah, huge. Um, what's the story here? Like – what, what do the Seahawks need to do to make this a comfortable victory? Show up, I think. It's you think that's all they got to do? I mean, I I just, like, I, I am fully prepared for this to be a miserable, ugly game that is never in doubt once. Like, I, I I don't know. I'm just I can't I can't I know I probably I I should learn at some point, uh, but I just can't bring myself to get too worried about like a team that's probably playing their backup and like has just shown absolutely nothing um, on offense. And I, I, I yeah, I really don't think Seattle needs to do a whole lot more here than show up and actually. Pay attention. DK should probably put in some film study and not just play Call of Duty the whole time or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, they, they really should be. Well, we'll get to predictions here in a second. If there's one thing that would, you know, I would just like to see in this game, I would like to see the defense eat a little bit. Like, um, this is the 29th ranked offensive line, like team in terms of uh sack percentage in terms of giving up a lot of pass pressure get some sacks dale taylor get some sacks when someone's actually holding the ball would be a good start like you know those are what did you think about that did do you buy that, that was just uh 
a whoops-a-doodle or i do did you see him the celebration he did after the play <laughs> no I no there's a great angle i can show you he's like screaming to the ceiling after the play because he's so excited that he just had this massive sack i gotta say uh i really did enjoy nuosu typically i'm all for celebration and trash talking but nuosu doing the like no dude he hit him like literally 10 seconds after he hit the ball off like this is not put a favorite part of that was that like within 10 minutes evan was on twitter saying can somebody get me a screen capture of nuosis <laughs> like he's he just yeah. has like a folder full of shit just for troll purposes he's always like, working <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i will say isaac my oldest uh, said you know if my guy's going to get a personal foul, that's the kind of personal foul I want to You want to earn it, right? You're like, I want to full on just destroying of a quarterback. It's like yeah. an NBA. Don't just like slap a wrist. If you're going to foul somebody, make sure that they feel it. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. I, I, he didn't fall far from the tree on that one. I, I, I didn't say that it was like that it was said about the Dale Taylor play. Um. <laughs> that's, and that's the only time we get to see a quarterback hit this year so far. So uh, I'd like to see it happen a little more often. Um, okay, uh, let's let's uh, let's go into predictions. Um, uh, I'm getting loopy. I have not slept enough, and I don't think I can go much longer anyway. So I'm going to start with uh, Nathan. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you're looking for in this game who you're looking to click and, and uh, what you think the final score will be. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see, uh, I'm really excited to see Witherspoon again. Um, I'd love to see JSN get a little bit more attention, some real targets and stuff. Um, but I think for me, it's really just going to be Gino again. And like, I think that they're going to, like the the pass rush and everything, like this defense is legit, and so I don't expect him to put up thirty seven again or whatever. Um, but you know, if he can if he can look on point like he did, and they can put up, you know, they can get you know three touchdowns something like that, and then just ice it, then I'll be pretty happy. So I just want to see a, a competent. I don't need him to blow him out. I don't need you know a fifty burger or anything like that. I just want the the team to come in and look like they're the clearly better team, which they should be. And the score? Um, say twenty three thirteen. Okay, Jeff. Yeah, I think this game does make me a little nervous. I hate these games where you're just expected to win, and they have like some shitty backup quarterback potentially coming in. So if you win, you're expected. If you lose, you're humiliated. It's like the zero upside game. But I think the key to this game is just Seattle has to get the lead early. Carolina is not built to come back. And the, the way their offense is just so limited, they don't have DJ Moore anymore. They traded him away for Bryce Young. They got Adam Thielen and DJ Chark and Hayden Hurst. It's like they're like an expansion team on offense, essentially. Um, so last year when they played, if you remember, Gino turned the ball early over and they were down like 17 nothing, And they, they made it a bit of a game at the end before that they got embarrassed in the fourth quarter. But I think they need the opposite script this time. I think that lets them pass rush a little more. I think if they are chasing from behind, that's where you can see Geno maybe make some mistakes, and that's where the Carolina pass rush could factor in. So I think the key to the game will be them scoring early. I think they have to get a turnover. I think maybe this is a Daryl Taylor game 
We haven't seen him flash as much as we did in the second half of last year. Um, I think we need that to win the game. I think it's going to be painfully close. Uh, I just have a weird feeling about this game. Um, yeah, and I'm waiting to see another again. Does Gino carry that over from last week? Does the offense carry it over? And can we get more force? And is this the game where Jamal Adams plays? I think that's a really interesting factor. I think the ripple effect in terms of pass rush, in terms of force players, in terms of getting Julian Love to play a little plus. Uh, I think that's a really interesting angle. I don't know if Adams is going to make it through the week. So that's something I'm really watching closely. But I think to me, I said it so many times, my whole focus this year is can the offense be a top five, top seven unit? And we saw it last week, and they won a really impressive game. If they can do that again against a really good defense, where Derek Carr like looked like shit against them last week, Derek Carr looks terrible so far. Um, even though they're two and zero, but I think we need to see the offense, the passing game, look like a top five team. Jeff, do you realize like seventy percent of the comments in chat are about Nathan's appearance? Like <laughs> what? Yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot of love for Nathan tonight, uh, and, and he's, he's blushing about it. I think so. <laughs> I should uh, stop talking then. Just cut me off. No, no, it, it's. I just wanted you to know because you were you were giving wonderful breakdown, and people were just ogling over Nathan. So, um, yeah. So sorry. What did you say for your score? <laughs> I didn't score. I was Nathan's blushing. Uh, Here, let me turn off the camera so I stop distracting everybody. Yeah. Right? Take okay, the I can finally focus now. I can breathe again. I'll go 24-16 Seattle. Oh, wow. Look at you guys. Okay. So here's what I think is going to happen in this game. I think that this is – this Panthers defense is actually as much as they're a good pass rushing defense, they're a really bad run defense. And I think this is going to be a game where the Seahawks actually they've given up a hundred. The, the Panthers have given up over 130 yards in uh, on the ground in both games so far this season. Uh, the Seahawks have yet to get on track on the ground. Really. I think this is a game where they're going to do it. I think that's going to open up the offense. Um, so I also, uh, I do think this is going to be a game where the Seahawks create more pass rush. And um, and I think that they're going to, the secondary is going to get some more turnovers. I think we're going to start having that pick up a little bit. So I think this game is going to be less close than both of you do. Um, I think we're talking about, I'm somewhere between 27, 13 and 30 to 13. I'm going to go with 27, um, be a little bit more conservative, but I think, I think that's what we're going to see in this game. I think there's a chance it could get even bigger than that, but um, I, I just can't see it. I can't see this Panthers team coming in and, I know there's folks in chat saying, hey, we're not going to lose two games in three weeks at home. Uh, did you watch last year? Um, like, so I, I don't, I, it's not the home thing to me. It's just, I think the matchup here, it would, it would, let's put it this way. If the Seahawks lose the game against the Panthers, <laughs> there's not, there's not a lot of coming back from that. But here's the good thing. I think they are going to win, as I just said. And 
the teams in the rest for the like next five games on the schedule for the Seahawks, uh, Saquon Barkley is not going to play for the Giants, and the Giants have not been very good this year. In fact, they've been really bad for most of it. Uh, um, I don't think anyone should be that afraid of Cincinnati right now. The Bengals coming up, not a particularly strong team so far. Uh, the Browns just lost Nick Chubb for the season uh, and have not looked, they've looked great on defense, but not looked very good on offense. If the, the Seahawks win this game as they should, it's not at all a stretch. The Seahawks could go on a pretty lengthy win streak here. Like there's, there's not a, there's not a like, oh shit game on the schedule pretty much till Thanksgiving. So um, yeah, this could be a fun ride if the Seahawks use this game as a uh, kind of a springboard to start figuring out what they need to do on both sides of the ball. So I think this is gonna be a good one for us. I think it starts propelling us and I am hopeful that for once I'm right because I am Oh, for friggin' two on the season uh, with the Seahawks. So if I get this one wrong, I don't know what you're doing listening to any of us talk about this team anyway. So, um, okay. Uh, I want to thank uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons, and all of you for showing up unexpectedly on a Wednesday night, a little bit late. Uh, we will talk to you more on post game show this Sunday, and uh, we'll look for you then. Otherwise, until then, have a wonderful week and go on. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the tape morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.